there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I'd like to welcome you to Wiltshire, England. The year is 1996. It's July. The sun beats down on a sprawling landscape. Fields and rolling hills extend to the horizon. Tourism in the area reaches peak levels. Just across the way, in plain view, the prodigious formation of rocks dubbed Stonehenge stands in all its glory. However, the anxious crowd isn't clambering to view the popular tourist attraction. Instead, they're lined up on the opposite side of the highway, pointing, gazing. We look to a field of wheat and see our answer. A massive geometric formation over 900 feet long etched into the tall crop. This is a freshly made crop circle. It's astoundingly beautiful and complex, resembling something like a caterpillar. Some believe it contains mystical energy, while others take a more scientific approach. Either way, they all want answers to the same questions. What is the purpose of crop circles? Where do they come from? Is there a message, a meaning hidden in these shapes that we're meant to decipher? And if so, who sent it? In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this podcast, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every week, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries. I'm your host, Richard. And I'm your host, Molly. This is our first episode on crop circles. In this episode, we'll be exploring the infamous history of these enigmatic creations, along with the questions we all still yearn to answer. The second episode will take an in-depth look at several notable crop circles, dissecting each event and discussing the theories that surround them. Who made these crop circles? Aliens? Humans? Or accidents of nature? If you like the show, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. A new episode comes out every Thursday. While you're there, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star review. It seems simple, but it really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, on Twitter, at Parcast Network, and at Parcast.com. Is it weather phenomena, aliens, energy from another dimension, drunken hoaxers? Hundreds of people from more than half a dozen countries have gathered for a fourth straight year in the English town of Glastonbury to discuss crop circles. Roland Pargeter organizes the conference, which takes place in the same county as the ancient monument of Stonehenge. Crop circles have, you know, produced a slightly enigmatic aura around them uh, because no one's really caught anybody making them. No one's ever seen one being made. Crop circles are large geometric patterns flattened in fields. Often, spanning hundreds of feet, the patterns are too distinct to occur by chance. Crop circles are best viewed from above, for example, in a helicopter or a flying saucer. 
To better understand crop circles, we need to take a look at where and when they originated. Which crop circle was the first to be documented by mankind? How did the public react to the discovery of possible alien contact, which now included a souvenir mark that could actually be verified, studied, touched with human hands, and seen with our own eyes? The answer to these questions change somewhat dramatically depending on who you ask. Eyewitness reports are conflicting, and source materials on the subject are often vague or easily misinterpreted, adding to the mysterious nature of the whole phenomenon. The first possible origin story, one disputed by many historians, comes to us from the year 1678 in the form of a wooden carving. The depiction carved into the wooden plank illustrated a horned, tailed, human-like figure plowing a field of crops with a scythe. The pattern this figure is creating? A circle. And adding to the cryptic image, the dark figure is seen working from the outside of the formation inward, towards the center, a method not typical to harvesting crops. If the figure were to continue with this method until its theoretical completion, we'd seemingly be left with nothing but a shape cut into a field of crops. Though the depiction looks odd, even menacing, historians have claimed it to be a visual representation of an old folktale, one aptly named the Mowing Devil. The folktale, in short, tells of a farmer who, during the heat of argument, tells a farmhand that he'd rather have the devil mow his crops than pay him his salary. Arguments against this theory have noted the irregular way the figure, who admittedly resembles the devil with his signature horns and tail, is mowing the field. These rebuttals claim that although the legend of the mowing devil does in fact exist, it emanated from the discovery of a crop circle. One that, when given no tangible explanation, left the locals of the time with no option but to hypothesize. If this is indeed the case, it means the history of crop circles spans more than 300 years. Another notable claim concerning the origin of crop circles occurred in Tully, Australia in 1966. A farmer reports an encounter with a flying saucer, watching it rise out of a swampy area, then whiz away in a flash of light. The farmer immediately investigated the nearby marsh where he'd seen the saucer. There he discovered a circular formation matted into the damp grass and foliage. It was a simple circle with crisp edges, and every reed of grass was folded in the same direction. It appeared to him that something large rested here. He reported the sighting to the local media, who then investigated the site for themselves. Although it was not the type of crop circle we would imagine today, it was something, and it was right there in front of them. The news dubbed it a flying saucer nest, an attempt to fluff up the farmer's UFO story and increase interest among their readers. For a short while, it worked. The story began to spread. Soon, however, the fleeting spark of enthusiasm ran its course. The public response noted the boggy nature of the area and its unique weather patterns, writing off the so-called nest as a naturally occurring event. A strange one, yes, but natural nonetheless. Was this, in fact, the first confirmed report of a crop circle discovered by humans? Or was the strange pattern simply the result of a cyclone? Perhaps a water spout leaving a peculiar trail. 
In the years that followed, the term flying saucer nest was adopted in one variation or another by news outlets that encountered similar stories. The modern name crop circles wasn't introduced until the late 1970s when larger circles began appearing in fields across the UK. Folk tales, legends, mysteries, interpretations. The early culture surrounding crop circles sounds incredibly similar to the reputation today fueled by rumor, yet shrouded in uncertainty and doubt. Where do we begin then if we're to get a clear picture of the crop circle's rise to fame? How did a handful of small, forgettable anomalies transform into a worldwide sensation? One that has spawned brands, businesses, songs, and even Hollywood films? To get a better idea of how crop circles entered the mainstream, we must take a step back and consider the possible ramifications or rewards crop circles have on a community once they've been thrust into the zeitgeist. A key example comes to mind. Tim Carson, a farmer from Alton Barnes, a small village in Wiltshire County, England. Mr. Carson is perhaps one of the most recognizable names when it comes to crop circles, both old and new. In the last 25 years, his fields have seen over 120 of these anomalies appear overnight. He discovered the first one on the morning of July 12, 1990. It was the largest formation ever recorded at the time. It possessed another unique quality, however, that set it apart from any of its predecessors. It was the first crop circle in history to incorporate a complex geometrical design featuring both ringed circles and skeleton keys extending outward from the edges. It sparked a heated debate over the likelihood that a human perpetrator could engineer such a creation in a limited time. This would be a game changer for the course of crop circle discussion and theory. Thus, we entered into a new era of crop circle phenomena. Tim Carson recognized the magnitude of what stood before him, and he was quick to capitalize on the moment while it lasted. After all, as thrilling as this would have been at the time, he and his family were facing a loss of profit from the damaged crops. This was actually a common complaint among local farmers who'd experienced the phenomena themselves. Once the excitement wore off, reality set in. Who's going to pay for the damage? It was a complaint Carson was well aware of. He therefore did what no one, for reasons beyond understanding, had ever done before him. He placed a barrel at the edge of his property, painting a notice on the front instructing visitors to pay a cash fee before they could enter. Tim Carson had found a way to make crop circles incredibly profitable, netting over 10,000 pounds in the first three months alone. He was going to get his money back, and then some. An example was then set for other farmers and landowners. Here's how you rectify the damage. Here's how you make some real money from these things. The following years saw an exponential increase in these types of complex formations. They'd appear during the summer months, when the weather was fair, scattered across the fields of southern England. Their quality improved over the early 1990s, evolving with each iteration. With crop circles came the growing crowds of onlookers, researchers, scientists, and skeptics alike. A term was coined for the study of crop circles, seriology. Tens of thousands of visitors travel to these sites each year. England, along with any place lucky enough to receive a crop circle, 
saw an increase in revenue generated from tourism, and the local farmers, who had originally taken a financial loss in these situations, had found a new way to come out on top. They weren't the only ones to benefit either. Visiting spiritual groups claimed to receive healing energies when they entered the sites. Others spouted real-life miracles, visions, foresight, and rejuvenation. Some groups, such as the Ashtar Paranormal Group, created an online presence where crop circle enthusiasts could share and debate their spiritual takeaway from each site. Researchers working these sites identified anomalies, patterns they couldn't explain, and were eager to explore in the name of science. Filmmakers, journalists, artists, and more seem to benefit in some way from the veil of mystery surrounding this growing global phenomenon. Roland Pargeter, the crop circle enthusiast quoted at the beginning, listed the different types of people he invited to the conference, all interested in studying crop circles. I have Professor Searle, who has built and flown a levity disc, um, an anti-gravity device. I have people who work with hypnotherapy and who've written books. I have a lot of researchers from different fields within the crop circle fraternity as such. But the crop circle's realm of influence didn't stop with popular culture. In 2001, they took a dive into an elevated space of cryptic science and code, baffling even the most distinguished researchers. Our story will continue in a moment, after the break. Now, our story continues. In 2001, an astonishing crop circle appeared in Hampshire, England, puzzling seriologists and skeptics alike. It was created within shouting distance of the Chilbolton Telescope and Observatory, home to the world's largest fully steerable meteorological radar. This circle's design contains specific data and symbols, appearing to be in response to a message sent into deep space some 27 years prior. Before we explore this particular crop circle, let's get a better understanding of how it all began. In 1974, renowned scientist Carl Sagan and his team of colleagues sent a unique radio message into the depths of space. This took place at the Arecibo Radio Telescope site, located in Puerto Rico, during a special event celebrating recent upgrades made to the system. The idea was to craft a message, like a calling card for the human species, that had the greatest likelihood of obtaining a response from extraterrestrial life. Once the signal was sent, the Arecibo radio dish was programmed to monitor any incoming frequencies from that same location in space. Think of it like standing at the entrance of a cave, shouting into it, then listening intently for something to shout back at you. Although the plan sounded simple enough, the logistics were incredibly complex. What were they going to shout into the universe? And more importantly, in what language were they going to shout it? Would an alien race understand English, French, perhaps Chinese? How do you communicate with a potential life form without knowing how they communicate with each other. Sagan's team settled on the use of binary code, a series of zeros and ones, the simplest form of communication and one they hoped would be easiest to interpret if ever discovered. Next came the message itself. 
The information they sent out was easily the second most critical component. Assuming extraterrestrial life received the message and decoded it, what would they learn about us as a species, as a planet? The message was crafted in a pictorial form, meaning when decoded from the binary sequence sent via radio waves, the result would be an image, a simple one, looking like an old Atari game. Sagan and his team included information about Earth's location in our solar system, the DNA makeup of human beings, the core principles of our math and science, the physical shape of humans, and even the NASA antenna that was used to transmit the signal. Altogether, the final image showed a vertical rectangle with a simple human form at the bottom, like a pixelated stick figure, along with staggered data sequences running up either side and various geometric shapes around the edges. This was our human species business card, and it was flying through the universe at a speed of almost 300,000 kilometers per second the speed of light. Now came the painstaking task of listening for even the faintest of replies. The first hope wouldn't come until 1977, three years after the original message, in a signal now referred to as the WOW signal. Detected by the Big Ear Radio Telescope at Ohio State University, the WOW signal was recorded on August 15, 1977, for a 72-second period. It originated from somewhere in the constellation Sagittarius and bore the expected features of an extraterrestrial origin. The signal was named after astronomer Jerry H. Emmon, who, upon discovering the signal, while reviewing a data printout, wrote the word WOW in red pen, circling the particular data set he was referencing. The WOW signal was an intense burst of radio energy, recorded as data in the form of a cryptic numeric sequence, reading 6EQUJ5. In this system of data analysis, the numbers 1 to 3 are a baseline, but numbers above that, up to 10, show something unusual. Anything above a 10 is classified as a letter. The U represents a signal about 30 times stronger than normal. No one has been able to crack the code, if that's indeed what it is, or gather meaning behind the message it carried. All that's known is that among a data field rife with ones, twos, and threes, this sequence represented an unmistakable signal, unique enough to differentiate itself from the static of a chaotic universe. Was this truly a signal from extraterrestrial beings? And if so, was it in response to the 1974 signal sent out by Sagan and his team? Several investigations directly followed the initial reception of the WOW signal. But since the signal was short-lived and impossible to repeat, no one could uncover its exact origin and who or what sent it. With the arrival of the mysterious signal came numerous theories of its origins, ranging from aliens to natural phenomena to intergalactic spy satellites. Of course, alien communication was what everyone hoped for. Perhaps the most recent and seemingly plausible explanation comes from Professor Antonio Paris of St. Petersburg College. In 2017, Paris confidently announced that he had debunked the WOW signal mystery, claiming it was the result of radio waves emitted by a pair of passing comets. 
However, many other scientists, including the now-retired Jerry Emmon, disagreed with Paris, claiming that comets do not produce the correct radio waves for this to be a possible explanation. Not only is the signal's origin vague and disputed, but scientists are also unsure how to interpret the information itself. 6EQUJ5 is, after all, only the human interpretation of the radio signal. No radio signal like this has been received since. The WOW signal remains a baffling phenomenon that still sparks controversy and puzzles scientists 40 years after its arrival. With the truth behind the WOW signal almost as ambiguous as it was when originally detected, we are left with only one other possible response to Carl Sagan's original Arecibo radio message from 1974. This brings us back to 2001, when our famed crop circle, which, to be accurate, was actually a rectangle, appeared in Hampshire, England as an apparent response to Sagan's message 27 years earlier. The crop rectangle is popularly known as the Arecibo response. Unlike the seemingly random, indistinguishable data sent by the WOW signal, the information within this crop rectangle was clearly interpretable. The rectangle displayed practically everything Sagan's original message contained, with a few minor yet startling differences. Instead of our Milky Way, this design depicted a foreign, unknown solar system, along with an image of the sender which resembled a stereotypical gray alien head, like what we'd come to imagine from movies and TV shows. The most unsettling aspect of this message was in the data, which, when decoded, was found to illustrate non-human DNA. For some skeptics, the image of the sender was a dead giveaway that humans were behind the Arecibo response. Local media covered the event, highlighting the slim chances that the classic bug-eyed alien we see online and in Hollywood films is truly representative of extraterrestrial beings. In response, some believers argued that the reason this archetypal alien exists in the first place is because of sketches made after actual sightings and abductions dating back to the 1960s. However, skeptics maintain that the gray alien became the standard depiction after an artist designed the face for a science fiction television program around the same time as some reported abductions. Whatever the consensus, there is more to this mystery than a single crop circle serving only to deepen the already complex situation. For example, the Arecibo response appeared in a field that already contained another crop circle. This one was also a rectangle and had been imprinted just three days prior. It depicted an image of an elaborate human face. It was determined that the crop circle was made using a technique similar to screen printing, the first circle to implement this type of process. For clarity, the process of screen printing, otherwise known as serigraphy, uses a template of some kind to create an image in one fell swoop. By applying the pre-cut template to a blank canvas, in this case a field of wheat, certain areas are protected, while others are left open for the theoretical ink to make its mark. That way, when the template gets peeled away, we're left with the final product in its entirety. The use of this process was determined by studying the detailed lines and angles pressed into the crop, along with the way the crop was bent. 
Standard tools, such as a wooden plank, would leave telltale signs of their use. Here, researchers found a clean imprint with defined edges that could have only been made using a sort of stencil. At the time, this served as just another piece of evidence that contributed to the mainstream belief that the rectangle was human-made. In fact, many believed it was probably inspired by the pre-existing design in the field from three days prior, or even produced by the same creators. Despite the skepticism surrounding this Arecibo response at the time of its discovery, the rectangle was impressively distinct from all previous crop circles due to the screen print style template technique. But who or what could produce such a template on this large a scale? If this massive technology is human-made, wouldn't we be aware of it? And once the giant template was in place, what would our theoretical ink be? In other words, what is the applicator producing the flattening effect on the crop? And if these scientists turned artists are human, how have we not discovered them yet? For now, hoax or no hoax, it's safe to say the Arecibo response was the first crop circle of its kind and certainly marked the beginning of a new generation of circles. A generation that would bring about equally extravagant, mystifying designs created by an unknown yet highly advanced entity, leaving us with the same burning questions. Who is responsible and where are they from? In the 1990s alone, over 700 crop circles appeared across Britain. Despite mainstream success as a paranormal brand, crop circle phenomena had done something no one anticipated. The production of crop circle formations grew exponentially with no legitimate explanation. To get better insight into the impact of this, we took a look at a popular crop circle exhibit in Wiltshire County, England. It's often used as a meeting ground for enthusiasts from around the world to discuss their thoughts and theories. It's no surprise then that SFU geography professor Paul Kingsbury, whose research focuses on the growth of paranormal groups, took an interest in the exhibit as well. According to Kingsbury, quote, crop circle enthusiasts believe the circles resemble a form of sacred geometry, end quote. Sacred geometry is the idea that certain shapes and proportions have religious meaning. One popular example is the golden ratio. Mathematically, it's 1 to 1.618, and this ratio can be found from seashells to hurricanes, from images of distant galaxies to our own human faces. Sacred geometry plays a significant role in theories from the Bible, ancient cultures, the Freemasons, and so much more. Sacred geometry is often tied to the idea of intelligent design, which leads people to believe crop circles were intelligently designed by aliens. But what about those who aren't educated on the subject of sacred geometry? Well, Kingsbury continues saying, quote, the enthusiasts report feeling a surge of energy that is emitted by the circles and react differently upon visiting them." End quote. This is indeed a reaction we're familiar with. We opened this episode on such a scene, and we've seen such examples of this behavior in crop circles around the world. Kingsbury concludes his observation saying that, quote, 
Because it is very emotional for the enthusiasts, some people lie in the circles and meditate, while others might embrace a family member and cry." End quote. We can see here that the more spiritual enthusiasts hold steady in their beliefs, regardless of continuing scientific research into the phenomena. Here's what Roland Pargeter, who spoke earlier in the episode, had to say about it. They're very beautiful. Not all of them, but many of them. They're, you know, they're extraordinary in, in uh, their imagery. They, if they are coming from some kind of alternative power source rather than human, you know, manufacture, they are then demonstrating very extraordinary qualities. There are also those who look at it scientifically, like Richard Taylor, the physicist who admires crop circles as a form of art. He provides us an example of how science can help explain these phenomena while also leaving the door open to paranormal influence. According to an article he published with Nature magazine in 2010, Taylor studied samples of grass and dirt taken from various sites shortly after their discovery. He analyzed these samples in an effort to determine how exactly they were made. He concluded that the circle makers must be using GPS devices, lasers, and microwaves to create these specific designs. Taylor cites the nodes on the stalks of wheat. Think along the lines of a kneecap or human joint, which have been blown out rather than bent in the same direction. He tested different methods to replicate the damage, finding only one plausible solution. Highly localized microwave heating was the culprit. It not only burst the nodes in the same fashion, but caused the stalks of wheat to bend down flat without fully breaking, a popular crop circle observation. While he provided a viable option, and according to him the only option, for how some of the more complex circles could have been made, it still doesn't answer the question of who did it. Well, here's why Taylor's scientific analysis can only take us so far. The technology needed to execute what he proposed is not something an everyday individual would have. In fact, Taylor can't explain exactly how anyone came into possession of such tools. He agrees it could be a military exercise of some kind, but even then, the type of advanced machinery needed is unlikely to be developed or put to use for this purpose. And therein lies the ultimate question. What is the purpose of a crop circle? We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. And now, let's continue our story. While no one knows for sure what a crop circle is intended to do, a look at another fascinating circle from the 21st century might give us more insight. This particular formation appeared, same as Carl Sagan's Ercebo message, across the street from the Chilbolton Radio Telescope and Observatory in Hampshire, England. Strangely enough, it appeared in August of 2002 in the very same field as Sagan's message the year before, and nearly to the exact same day. Taking the same rectangular form, rather than the standard circular design, there are several aspects of this crop circle that make it so visually striking. For starters, the first image we see is that of a clearly defined alien body. The head, fading away into a shadowy gradient, 
with a single large eye peering skyward. The alien shape resembles the classic gray being that we've seen in movies and television shows with the iconic round bald head and pointed jaw. At its shoulder, the being appears to hold up a large disc. Etched into the face of this disc are hundreds of dashes, each of varying length, circling the center. The volume of detail in this crop circle is unimaginable. And given both the size and complexity of the design, it's apparent that the screen printing method referenced earlier in the episode is at work here. Again, we examine the individual stalks of wheat to gain some insight into how the crop circle was made. Similar to Sagan's formation the year before, this one appears to have been made using a concentrated application of microwaves. This is evidenced by the way the wheat itself bends, oftentimes without breaking, an effect only duplicated by science with the use of microwaves. Let's put this in perspective. While science can't tell us who made this crop circle, it can tell us much about the method used to create it. In this case, the creators of this circle would have built a detailed template roughly the size of a football field and one that could stretch atop tall stalks of wheat. All of this, assumedly, without damaging the crop with a large team of workers or leaving any visible trace behind. Then, without the use of vehicles or heavy machinery, as their tracks would be unmistakable in the field, a series of focused microwave bursts are applied to the vulnerable areas. These microwaves are controlled enough to create fine edges and intricate geometric shapes with near-perfect accuracy. The stencil is then removed and the finished product is all that remains. A crop circle with an eerie message from unknown senders. While we wonder where this message came from, let's also consider the importance of sending a communication in the first place. Who is trying to communicate with whom? And what are they trying to say? With the help of MIT graduate students, the message is translated and we are able to take a closer look. It didn't take long for a group of students and amateur code breakers to notice that the etches made into the disk being held out by our alien figure were in fact a series of binary code. By measuring the length of each hash mark along with the distance between them, the cryptic message is turned into a series of zeros and ones, much like the communications sent by Carl Sagan years before. That binary sequence is then translated into letters, and when put together, those letters create the following message. Quote, Beware the bearers of false gifts and their broken promises. Much pain, but still time. End quote. It continues, quote, Believe there is good out there. We oppose deception. Conduit closing, 0x07, end quote. The random sequence at the close of the message would produce a sound similar to a typewriter, like the dinging of a bell. At first glance, it's clear that this crop circle, along with its cryptic message, serves as a warning to the human species. But who are these bearers of false gifts? And what deceptions are referenced here? The message speaks of much pain, and it's easy to apply that statement to almost anything in our world today. Between endless wars, political upheaval, and devastation, we see this message as something familiar, 
almost what we want to hear. At what point then could this message be interpreted as a deception itself? What if this circle and its forewarning are the actual false gifts we're being warned of? It's easy to go down the rabbit hole with different interpretations, especially of a message this ambiguous. The only way to narrow down a possible explanation is to again ask, who sent it? Upon re-examining the crop circle, we see a formation appear just above the alien figure's right shoulder. Three distinct orbs, set in a linear fashion, extend into the empty space away from the figure holding the disc. Each orb rises slightly higher than the last, creating an upward arc. With the help of amateur astrologists and seriologists, the particular angle of the arc was measured. Sure enough, the sequence of orbs were calculated as almost identical to the asterism known as Orion's Belt, otherwise known as the Three Kings or Three Sisters. Is this truly representative of Orion's Belt, a distinguishing part of the constellation Orion? And if so, what could that mean? According to conspiracy theorist Alexander Light, the inclusion of Orion's Belt in this particular crop circle acts as a sort of address, letting us know where the message originates. He goes on to speculate that these beings, wherever their origin, have been watching the human species develop for some time. If that is indeed the case, then perhaps this is a message of warning, one that we ought to consider, or at the very least, expose further to the public. Regardless of who or what sent this message, the facts remain the same. This crop circle was created and delivered by a substantial, technologically advanced source. One that has the capability to imprint on an area of land nearly the size of a football field, without so much as leaving a track or any evidence of their presence. All this while utilizing microwave technology to accomplish their task. Equipment on a level of sophistication not available to the ordinary person. And to top it all off, no witnesses are reported as seeing the crop circle under construction. It simply appeared overnight, with incredible detail and sophistication, right under our noses. One then has to ask, plain and simple, have we been visited? Next week, we'll explore notable theories on the formation of crop circles. Are they created by aliens, drunken hoaxers, or accidents of nature. For now, to leave you with something to think about, here are a couple of important facts to consider. Assuming the first crop circle was reported in 1678, it's estimated that over 20,000 have made an appearance here on Earth. Yet even with that staggering number, no one has ever been caught creating a crop circle in secret. Not once. Don't forget to subscribe to Unexplained Mysteries on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. 
It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Thursday. And next Thursday, we'll continue our investigation of crop circles, delving deep into the most significant ones of our time, asking the tough questions, and exploring the even tougher answers. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kerry Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unexplained Mysteries is written by Kyle Parks and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs> <laughs>